Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Father, right now as we have come around your throne, we are not eager to leave, so we won't. We're going to stay right here for a little while. We're going to open your word, Father, and we're going to look at some of the most important words ever spoken, for they were spoken by the one you sent into this world, Jesus Christ, your son. And you gave him a task to reveal you to the world. To live as a child of God should live. To give us a pattern that we should follow in his steps and and to listen to him and, and learn the family secrets. So Father, today, by your Holy Spirit, may, may the words that originally poured out of Jesus just pour into our hearts. And may we be blessed by them, for we ask it in his name and for the continuing glory of his church. Amen. Well, this morning we continue in this series of messages we've been calling Red Letter Living. And today, in this edition of Red Letter Living, we take a look at what I'm calling today the greatest invitation ever extended to mankind. It's only found in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember, Matthew, that's the gospel I suggested we all read this week. As two weeks ago, we read the gospel of Mark and especially looked at the red words in there. We read two weeks ago, or last week, the gospel of John. And just this past one, I suggested, give a shot at Matthew. It's a long one. I trust you made it all the way through. I did. And and today's invitation What I'm calling the greatest invitation ever extended to mankind is found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the only place it's found. And it's all, of course, in red letters. So here it is, today's red letter scripture. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And because the letters are red, you know Jesus is doing the speaking. And so here we are. Jesus says, come unto me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In our COVID-obsessed and oppressed and distressed 21st century world, those words sound pretty wonderful. They also sounded pretty wonderful in Jesus' first century world. Let's take the time we have for this message this morning to, to just walk our way through this great passage to thoroughly examine this greatest invitation ever extended. So consider with me, first of all, the condition of the invited. Who gets this invitation? Who is Jesus focusing upon? Well, he tells us right off the bat, it's the weary and the burdened. I tell you, if you just got it made this morning, if you were flying higher than a kite, If you have no distress, no worries, no burdens you're carrying, and you're not weary from any task, just take a powder this morning and relax. You don't have to listen to this at all because Jesus is not talking to you. But if you fall into the categories that we're talking about this morning, this is for you. And and so pay attention before you doze off. Consider. The condition of the invited. Who are these people that Jesus is addressing? They're the weary and the burdened of life. Weary. We could call that drained of energy. Now, you can be weary physically, drained of physical energy. 
You can be weary emotionally, just drained of emotional energy, dealing with people, dealing with situations, dealing with reactions that, that are stirred in your heart that you're, you're either trying to encourage or you're trying to discourage. You can be weary spiritually. Just, just kind of so overwhelmed with really what a Christian ought to be, that you're, you're worn out, weary of working, weary of wondering what's going on, weary of waiting, even if we're waiting on God. When's he going to act? When's he going to call a halt to this? When is Christ going to return? And that waiting can be wearisome, and it can drain us of energy, weary, burdened. Burdened is weighed down by life. Picture yourself with a load of rocks on your back, weighed down by life, by the concerns of life, facing things that seem overwhelming. Any of those in your life today? Right out there in the near future. Some of us, we look way into the future. And we get weary, and, and we know someday we're going to have to face that, and it seems like a burden already. Some of them are right facing you. Facing things that seem overwhelming, things that seem to be beyond achieving, and yet it's on your plate to do. It's a burden. It's burdensome. And so I ask you, all of us this morning, to ask this question, to personalize it. Am I one of those people? Am I one of those people who are experiencing a degree of weariness and who feel a bit burdened with the demands upon me and the situations that surround me? Is this invitation from Jesus Christ actually coming to me? And if you answer yes to that, even if you say, I think so, it might. Well, then continue to listen, because Jesus has a whole lot more to say. Jesus knew. He knew the hearts and the hopes of those who had left their homes, who even that afternoon had probably skipped out of work, had left their homes. They had gathered where Jesus was because they wanted to hear what he had to say. And they felt that what he had to say that day was more important than anything else that they might have to do. Jesus could sense that from them. He knew that from them. He knew the hearts and the hopes of those who were looking at him right now. He even knew that his own disciples were some of them. He knew how the weariness and the burdensomeness of life could almost immobilize a person, can make mere drudges of them just somehow getting through the day and then getting through the next one. Linda and I would say that our COVID experience put us there for a bit. It's not a good place to be. We joked about having COVID brain. You know, where you just have no energy, you have no motivation, you have no desire, you can't really even think except just for the next thing you got to do. I'm glad that passed. There came a day where like a switch went on and we knew we were through this battle that we had been in. It's not a good place to be, to be wearied, to be burdened down. And yet some people are living there. You might be. And so, to the weary and the burdened of this world, this invitation from Jesus comes. If you in any way fall into this category, this invitation from Jesus Christ is for you. It has no expiration date. It's been hanging out there for almost 2,000 years. So now consider with me the a most important thing. We've talked about the condition of the invited, the weary and the burdened. How about the character of the inviter? You and I develop a certain incredulity. 
whenever somebody's offering something. We receive and we build up a certain amount of sales resistance. You hear all the commercials. You hear everybody making a pitch. And you say, I, I don't know if I can trust them. You even read nutritional magazines and this doctor says this and this doctor says that. And they contradict one another. And it's like, who can I trust? Who can I trust? And then there are people who try to bully you into stuff. Tell you you're an idiot if you don't do it. Or you're an idiot if you did do it. What's the character of the one doing the inviting? And it's revealed in this passage. It says about Jesus, Jesus says himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. He did not come across in his day, and he does not come across to us through the word of God as arrogant or superior, not rough-handed or insensitive, not demanding or holier than thou, even though he was holier than any of us and superior to all of us. But he didn't come across that way. Rather, he is, as he said, he is gentle. Gentle. The old King James here uses the word meek. Remember, we've discussed that at times in the past. That's the Greek word praus, P-R-A-U-S. Praus. It doesn't mean weak need. It doesn't mean able to be bullied by anybody. What it means is a person who has themselves under control, a strong person under complete control, and therefore can be gentle. It's like a horse, a strong horse that's been broken to bit and bridle. Powerful animal. And yet a little child who's been trained can sit in the saddle and take the reins and, and just direct that powerful animal anywhere they want to go. That's a horse demonstrating prowess, not weakness, but strength under control. Jesus is using that word to describe himself. Now, we've seen Jesus in the book of Revelation. There's coming a day when the whole world will see Jesus Christ exercising the authority of God, the power of God, the judgment of God, and casting people into eternal hell, destroying them, destroying the devil himself. That's the power Jesus has even now. But he says, then and now, he has presented himself as one who has all that strength under control and focused on a person and treating people with gentleness. He restrains himself. Even though he's the God of the universe, even though he is the Jehovah we sang about, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the lawgiver, he restrains himself. He whispers his truth into my ear rather than thunder it from the mountaintop. He's gentle with me. He's gentle with all who will come to him. And he is, the second thing, by his own admission and testimony, he is humble in heart. Humble. Paul says, honor others above yourself. Look on the interest of others rather than on your own interest. That's a, that's a humble perspective. Jesus said that humility is all the way down to the core of his being. It comes right out of his heart. He, has, he is eager to serve whatever the needs of people might be, eager to serve. Again, here, he identifies himself with a most ungodlike trait. Rather than demand my obedience to his commands, he looks for ways to serve me and bring me willingly into compliance with his will and his ways. For I am gentle, and humble in heart, he says. Ask yourself, do I see him this way? Is that the way you, you see the Lord Jesus? 
And I imagine the more time we spent in the Gospels, the more it is true we do see the Savior who walked upon this earth exactly that way. And that's the way he still wants us to see him in this environment because we are to become like him. And we're never going to become the exalted Lord of all, but we can become this humble, gentle servant, have all of our strength under control that we might do the thing God would have us do and to treat people gently with humility. See him that way. See yourself that way. So, what now comes to those who openly admit their need? I am weary. Life has burdened me down. This situation is is almost more than I, I know how to handle, we might say. We who admit without debate that we are indeed weary in and burdened down by life in this fallen world. We who accept his invitation to come. What comes to us if we come to him? What does this one who is himself gentle and humble in heart offer, even promise us? Jesus said, come to me, you who are in this category. Come to me. If that's the condition you're in, if you're weary, if you're burdened down by life, you come to me. Well, what if we do? What happens? What did he say? Well, here, consider with me this morning now the conclusion promised. Jesus said, if you come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest. You will find rest for your souls, in fact. Let's just take that first word, rest, release, and refreshment. Imagine right now just being released from the very thing that might burden you, released from the very thing that is bringing you to a point of weariness, and just say, if I were just free of that, I could probably take a deep breath for the first time in quite a while and just rest. Maybe your lack of rest even shows itself by a not really good sleep at night. You're not resting. Jesus says, come to me if you're in this condition. I will give you rest. That's what he promises. So the question is, how does he do that? How does he do that? How did he do that in his own day? In our day, does he come and alter my circumstance? Does he come and negotiate a a new situation with my boss, if that's where my trouble lies? Does he free me from all burdensome things? Well, the rest of this passage gives the answer. The answer is found in the discovery that those who come make. Jesus says, I will give you rest. And then he says, here's what you will find. You will find rest for your soul. You will find rest for at the deepest part of you. Rest for your souls. I'd call that spiritual renewal. The sense that things are all right. That God is working everything out. That this world is temporary and that Jesus' words last forever. This is the salvation of soul that Peter wrote about in his first epistle. First Peter chapter 1, verse 9, Peter said that this salvation of soul is the ultimate goal of our faith. Even more than, than having our sins forgiven. Our sins are forgiven so we can be right with God. Heaven is granted to us so we have a destination. But while we're in this world, Peter says the goal of our faith, what God wants to see as the result of us putting our faith in Jesus Christ is a salvation of our soul, our innermost being. Jesus was referring to that when he said, you come to me, you come to me, I mean really come to me, and you will find rest for your soul. 
you will find uh, the ultimate earthly experience. The experience of a completely saved soul. All our emotions and passions and personality quirks brought into a wonderful state of relaxed spiritual calmness. Now, do you really believe that's what Jesus is selling here? Are you ready to buy? Do you believe such a thing can be experienced in this world? Where we come to a place, all our emotions and passions and personality quirks brought into a wonderful state of relaxed spiritual calmness. That's really what Jesus said. Those who respond to his invitation will discover. He called it rest. Rest. We ask ourselves, isn't this what I need? Isn't this what I desire? Isn't this, however, the thing that I would think is almost impossible to experience in this crazy world? Filled with people who, who might even torment me. People who make my life difficult. People who uh, criticize me, abuse me, ridicule me simply because I believe in the God of the Bible. And I say I have a relationship with God and I'm, I know him. And, and how in this world can that kind of thing happen? Well, Jesus says it will. He says, if you come to me, if you come to me the way he was just inviting them to come, he said, this is what you'll find. Now, he didn't mean come to me for a couple of minutes this afternoon while I'm teaching, then go back there and, and let everybody else just dominate you the way they've been dominating you. No, you come to me and you stick with me. You come to me and you stick with me. You see, people listening to Jesus' words that day, as well as we who hear them today, just naturally ask, well, how does such a thing happen, really? How can I experience such rest deep within me? We might even honestly say it's deep within me where I am most at unrest. I battle with all my inner demons, people call them. That's the place I have my biggest problem. It's not really people out here. It's what's in here. My background, my, the way I was treated when I grew up, all these things that just torment me, guilt over all the... It's, it's actually in me where I'm most not at rest. And Jesus would say, well, good, you've identified that. That really is the battleground, and here's what I'm telling you. If you come to me, if you come to me and link yourself to me, I will put a restful state in your deepest being, in your very soul. So how does he do that? Well, I've been hinting at it for the last couple of minutes, but the answer is found, of course, in the passage of the day. Jesus gives a couple of commands. Now, I chose the word command because everything we have today starts with a C. So we got commands here. Though it's not like Jesus is thundering this out from Mount Sinai, is he? These are not three commands added to the ten. These are directives that Jesus is giving, and so let's call them commands because it fits. There's three of them. He says, come, come to me. Take my yoke, whatever that means, and learn from me. That's a little more understandable. So let's take them one by one. To know this ultimate peace in our heart, to know this full salvation of soul, it's involved in coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and in this day, a relationship built and maintained by his Holy Spirit that has these elements in it. So let's look at them one by one. Come means respond personally. There has to be a personal element here. We have to decide to accept this invitation. It doesn't just descend from heaven upon all men. 
There must be an individual action here taken. Come to me, Jesus said. Respond personally. I'd have to say it was the recognition of this truth that inspired Billy Graham and probably a host of evangelists that preceded him, especially in our country, that inspired him to offer a public invitation at the close of each of his crusade gatherings. Every service ended with the song, Just As I Am. And those of you familiar with that song, you know it culminates with the declaration, O Lamb of God, what? I come. I come. Over and over and over again, thousands of times. Sometimes it would seem like a thousand times in one crusade. Sing it again and sing it again. And if you're coming from the far distant balcony, it'll take you five minutes to get here. So start right now. And they sing and they sing, oh, Lamb of God, I come, I come. Recognizing if people don't come to Christ, they'll never get to him. There's a personal initiative that must be taken. People must personally respond to Christ. But here's the problem. And here's the great, great weakness and deficiency of much of modern day evangelism. The problem is, and we see it right in this passage, the problem is people must do more than just walk an aisle, repeat a prayer, and have some counselor tell you you just got saved. And when that's the whole package, and sad to say, multiplied thousands upon thousands of times by crusade crowds and by churches that are primarily preaching the Billy Graham of Asnualistic gospel and only that much, you have all kinds of people been told they're saved and they're wondering why their life is no better than it is. Even if they have the hope of heaven. Even if they have the hope that, they've, that God has really forgiven them of their sins. And even if there was a sincere effort on their part and God has in fact forgiven them of their sins, that does not bring them to rest. That does not bring them to a full salvation of soul. It brings them to a point of forgiveness, which is marvelous. It saves them from hell. And in that respect, you got saved tonight. But nobody says to them, you're just starting your salvation path. You are saved from hell because that's a gift of God. You've received it. You are saved from the guilt of your sin. That's a gift of God. Christ's blood has covered over it. But there's a salvation path that you just stepped on that we want you to continue. And so many of them never hear about that. And yet in this passage, Jesus identifies two more parts to this, this process of receiving spiritual rest and truly knowing God and living at peace way deep down in our hearts. And here comes the second one. These two teachings of Jesus that have either fallen into dispute, that is, there are good godly people who argue whether this is part of the package or not, or they've just been forgotten. And they're not taught, they're not practiced, they're not experienced at all. But here's the second one. Jesus says, take my yoke. You know what that means? It means, let me hook you up to me. Just like two cows, two cattle, who are yoked together, a yoke of oxen. You got one over here, and you got one over here. If you just had reins on them like a horse, this guy could go this way and this guy could go that way and you're in the cart trying to make progress and you got two independent beings here. But if you yoke them together, put a heavy wooden implement around their shoulders and around their neck so they can't get away from each other, pretty soon they learn to walk together. 
and frequently the older, more established and stronger oxen who knows all the ropes, they'll hook up a younger one who's just learning how to submit himself, how to be gentle, how to submit himself to the desires of the owner, the master, and they hook him up to one who's bigger than him, stronger than him, and smarter than him. And if he knows what's good for him, probably only takes him a couple of efforts to go his way, he learns, I'm tied to this guy. I can't get away. I've been yoked to him. And he seems to be in charge. So I'll just take the same length step he takes. I'll go in the same direction he's going. And, and the thought might go through a young oxen's mind if they think at all. And one of these days I'll be bigger than him and then I'll decide. But by the time that day comes, this one has been so trained and so accustomed to what he's doing that he himself has become gentle. And all that great strength that he now has more of than he had then is submitted to the plan of, of the master. And they're still walking in perfect step because he's discovered it really works out pretty well just to walk in perfect step with my partner here. So Jesus says, this is, after you come to me, Recognize I am who I am. Recognize you are who you are and you have the needs in your life that you have that I have recognized. You now come to me and yoke yourself to me. Basically, that means accept a new identity. My life doesn't belong to me anymore. I have taken the yoke of another I have willingly agreed to link myself to another that will be determining my life from here on. You are now a Christ follower. You are actually linked to him. You will proceed through life walking as he walked. Once you're yoked, there's no question about that. You're not running your own life anymore. Not much teaching done on that. Jesus taught it. These are some of the red letter teachings that they've just kind of fallen away. And so whenever we look at people, we see people who, whose lives are pretty well messed up. They might be our children, our grandchildren, our next door neighbor, the, the sons and daughters of friends of ours. And, and they're kind of making a mess of their life. And how many times do you hear the older person say, but at least I know they're saved? Because I was there. I was there, there the night they prayed the prayer. I was there the night that they gave their... Well, see, we don't use that phrase, gave their life to Jesus. No, when they ask God to forgive them of their sins. And they may be saved in that limited way. They're going to wind up in heaven. And they're going to wind up in heaven the way that the Apostle Paul said there are those who are, are, are like they're running out of a burning building. They just escaped hell. They escaped judgment. Praise God for that. But nobody ever let them know that to really love the Savior, to really come to the Savior, to really identify with the Savior means that you identify with the Savior and you take on his identity and you say, I belong to Jesus Christ. He's in charge of my life. He's my Lord. I link myself to him, and then I just walk along in the way that he says I should walk. Now, see, Jesus' disciples actually did that. They left their fishing boats. They left their families. They came to him, and for a period of three years, they actually walked with him. Their yokes were invisible. They didn't literally have them on their neck but they were powerful, they were emotional, they were volitional. Peter once said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And they had. 
they became known as Jesus' disciples. See, they were identified by him. They'd done that. And then after Jesus returned to heaven, when he was no longer available for them to walk with, it wasn't like they just walked with each other. It wasn't like they said, well, Peter, you're the best of us. We'll just link ourselves to you, and you head down the path, and we'll follow you. You'll be our leader in Jesus' place. Jesus knew that didn't have a very good possibility. And so he sent another one for them to be yoked to, the Spirit of God. Didn't take on himself physical flesh, so the, the yoke was also spiritual, invisible, even as he is spiritual and invisible, but real nonetheless. And Jesus said, and the Apostle Paul would then affirm, and we are now to keep in step with the Spirit. He's in charge. He is Jesus' representative. He's Jesus' authority. And he is in charge. And now we say, my life, as far as its daily activities go, belong to the Spirit of God. He directs me on Jesus' behalf in the way that I should go. He reminds me of the way that Jesus went. And I am to follow, as a human being, the life that Jesus lived right here on this earth. And so Jesus says, take my yoke. And then the third thing, he says, learn. Learn from me. I say there, make my truth your own. You realize how much more simple life is if we just consider Jesus to be the source and the sum total of all the truth we really need to know. How much time we would save from reading every article we can find on whatever subject it might be, politics or whatever, to figure out what's really going on, what is true, and then you discover that truth isn't found anywhere in any one of these places. They all might have a piece of it, but Jesus Christ is it. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he once said. So Jesus said, now learn from me. Let me teach you. Read my words. That's what we're doing. This red letter living is intended to get us putting into practice the very words of Jesus he who spoke the truth of God in our daily lives. Learn from me. The Holy Spirit reminds us of those truths. But like we've sort of jokingly said, if, if you have a Bible, that the New Testament, the Gospels, have the letters, the words of Jesus in red. In fact, Peggy Grant gave me an email response to our what we sent out last week. And she said, you know, it's really been interesting this week, reading through Matthew. She said, I've just been skimming down and just reading the red. And of course, that's a quicker way to go through the gospel. But she said, I'm discovering by doing that, as the words of Jesus just stack on top of each other, one after the other, that, you know, the context really doesn't matter. His words are, are, are just always true. His words speak to my heart and the context, yes, God saved the context in the scripture. We need to know the whole story and who went where and who did what and who Jesus would. But when you just do limit yourself to what actually came out of Jesus' mouth, it's impactful. And it's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. And she was experiencing that and just sharing testimony of that. And I encourage you to do that yourself. This week we'll be reading the, the Gospel of Luke. It's the only one left. Just go through it. If you got your good old red letter edition and just read the red letters all the way through the whole book. Let them stack on top of each other until it seems like you spent all afternoon just listening to Jesus. And see the kind of impact it has on your life. And we're not going to get to all the red letter uh, truths. It would be here for years. But we're going to get through quite a few. Quite a few. This passage right here is an example of how people have forgotten what Jesus has really said 
about the Christian life. If you're going to come unto me, you're going to yoke yourself to me. That's not an option. This idea, he's my savior, but I'm still running my own life, that really isn't a biblical option. Jesus said, if you're going to come unto me, you're going to yoke yourself to me, and I will determine all the rest of your life. Every day, every week, every month, every relationship, it'll, everything that comes up, you will kind of look over and say, well, where's he going? What does he say about it? And, and when I'm gone, Jesus says, I'll send my Holy Spirit, and he'll fill right in. And the question now will be, what is the Spirit saying about this? What has the Spirit said about this? What would the Spirit want me to do here? What does the word of my Savior say? And it makes life so much easier to know and even to do. Because look at this. After we ask this, last, this question, am I willing to do this? To come personally to Christ? to take his yoke upon me, to accept a new identity, to learn from him, make him my source of truth. Am I willing to do that? And praise God, so many of you have already done that. And hopefully I'm, I'm just encouraging you in the very efforts you're making already and the decisions you've made already. But am I willing, you might say, to continue to do this? Maybe you've been a strong believer for quite a while, but right now, something's hit you right between the eyes. And life has become wearisome. And the burdens have been piling up upon you. And your sense of closeness to Christ has kind of diminished. And, and the rest that he promised is, is hard to find. Well, to you too. In a renewed way, the Holy Spirit would say, come to Christ. Come to Christ fully, eagerly. Embrace him and his desires for your life and his wisdom and his teachings. And, and just, just let, let him be in charge. Because now here's the last thing. As we're seeking to come to that decision or renew ourselves in that decision, here's an important clarification as people think they're just giving their life away and it's going to be miserable, it's going to be hard. I, I know as a kid growing up, I, I knew just because of our background, family-wise with missionaries, I just knew if you ever gave your life to Jesus, he's going to send you to Africa. He'll call you to be a missionary in the deepest, darkest place. It'll lead to a life of misery and despair and all of that and sacrifice and, and maybe even a, eaten by a lion. Somebody would say, well, you know, Mark gave his whole life to the cause. I grew up reading books called Jungle Doctor. Jungle Doctor, a missionary in Africa. They were adventure books. They were exciting. But it was still that feeling that you really can't trust Christ to treat you well. If you give your life to God... It's almost like I have so few that give their life to me and I have so many hard places that, of course, I'm going to send you to the hardest place on earth. And yet when I would hear my own aunts and uncles as missionaries share about what they were doing, they never really shared about what they were doing in that way. They shared as though they had been given the greatest privilege in the world to, to serve Christ, to be the first ones to maybe mention the word Jesus in a land to a tribe to some people who've never heard of him. And they had, they had souls that glowed. So that's what we might imagine, though. But here's what Jesus says. He says, my yoke is easy. Really, I put down here, it's a no-brainer. Yoke yourself. It's like joining a basketball team with Shaquille O'Neal on it. Do you think the pressure is going to be on you to make the key shot? Think the pressure is going to be on you to make the key rebound? Do you think the pressure is going to be on you to guard the, the big guy on the other? No, we got Shaquille. 
I love that commercial that's on TV with Charles Barkley. He's just playing with a bunch of kids on the playground. And, and they're, they're picking teams. And all these little kids come up to his waist. And then here's Charles Barkley. And the little girl who picks first says, I take Charles. And he jumps up excited and says, I still got it. Come on, you're six foot eight. See, Jesus is saying, you join my team. I'm six foot eight. I may be seven foot six. This is no sweat. I'm linking you to me, but you're being linked to a winner. You're being linked to the Son of God. So my yoke is easy. I'm never going to ask you as you yoke yourself to me or to my spirit to pull the major part of the load. Never going to do it. Doesn't work that way. The one you're linked to is God, for heaven's sakes. You think God would turn over the major responsibility to the one he's, he's trying to save and, and get prepared? My yoke is easy. I'll carry the bulk of the load, is what he's saying. My burden is light. So in a sense, if we're following the English through here, you'd have to say it's not a burden at all, right? A burden by definition is not light. But he's saying the things we put on your back to bear will not break you, will not weigh you down. In fact, if you stay yoked to me, you won't even feel any pressure. Because it's a light burden. It's not really a burden at all. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. People who gripe and complain about how hard the Christian life is, <clears throat> they're not living the Christian life. They don't have this kind of relationship with Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. They're living something else. <clears throat> They're living some religious experience that somebody has told them that's the way you got to be, or they've worked it out themselves. This is what I got to do to be righteous, to be godly, to be what God wants me to be. And they just grit their teeth and they try to get through the day. And if Jesus came along, he'd say, what in the world are you doing? It's like having a, a master chef come into your kitchen and watch you try to put something together, and it'd say, what are you doing? Let me prepare that meal. And you'd say, whew. No burden anymore. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So the question to ask now, knowing that now, what could possibly keep me from this? And the answer is, only the devil. Only the world system with its anti-Christ, anti-godly values. Only our own fallen human flesh that says, do your thing. Don't yield allegiance to anyone. But when it comes right down to living the life, to say, what could possibly keep me from this? If the Holy Spirit's opened our eyes to it, the answer is absolutely nothing. Christ has touched every base, covered everything. The Holy Spirit is incredibly capable of turning me into the very child of God that someday the Father will smile upon and say, both to the Spirit and to me, well done. Well done. So let's let him do it. Let's come to Christ. Let's come to the very spirit that Christ has sent and let's give ourselves to him ever more fully and completely. Let us take our yoke upon, his yoke upon us and just say, boy, I really belong to him. I really do. And let us learn from him. Let's be reminded and let's be amazed at the things that Jesus actually said and taught and how the Spirit works them out in our life so the end result of all of them is a 
heart and soul at rest. And a testimony that's unmatched by any other. Our final thought says this. Those who experience the rest that Jesus provides by his spirit will never seek any other kind. That's something we've got to remind ourselves of. When we find Christians who are searching desperately for something more, when we find Christians who are getting into other kinds of organizations and activities to try to make sense out of their life or try to have purpose or whatever, we have to say to ourselves, that poor soul does not understand the life that Christ has invited them to. Hopefully, they don't understand the life that you yourself are experiencing and delighting in. And so we go to a person like that, the same way we'd go to an unbeliever, and we would say, recognizing the troubles in their life, the concerns in their life, and we say to them, come to Christ. Come to Christ. And they might say, oh, I accepted Christ as my Savior when I was a kid. Okay. Have you taken his yoke upon you? What do you mean? Have you learned from him all the truths, the dynamic truths of the kingdom of God and the way that this life is to work? Come to Christ fully, completely. That's what we say right now. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh, thank you for preserving these words. Jesus had the people spellbound. They hung on his words. They were transformed by his words. His disciples were shaped by his words. And then the Holy Spirit, when he came, just, just made those words a very part of their being. And they truly became Christ's people. Father, may we be Christ's people, recognizably so. And may we, in our own inner testimony, say, my heart is enjoying rest, peace, confidence, security, for I'm trusting in Jesus entirely. And I'm yielded to the Spirit of God who is making all these things real. This we ask, Father, that we might come to Christ, might take his yoke upon us, might learn, learn from him, the very Son of God. For we ask this in his name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.